0: That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Have you ever seen that ex-drug addict become a pro athlete? Or that alcoholic go on to be a millionaire workaholic? Have they really overcome their addiction? Or are they just transferring it to something else? And is this healthy? Welcome to the What's Eating You podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie, and I'm a psychologist, published author, and public speaker, here to educate and validate. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode on the What is Eating You podcast. I hope you're having an amazing day. I'm excited to be here. It feels like a little while since I've been recording, and I'm excited to bring this episode To you, So I hope you're ready. Stay tuned. Always remember to seek professional help if you need it. And there are links in the show notes if you require that support. I've been going pretty well. I'm heading off to Bali actually quite soon in about six days, Monday week. And I'm just preparing for that. It's only going to be a short trip or short for me. It's going to be three weeks. Ten weeks is working with the Women's Fitness Academy, not 10 weeks. Wow. 10 days is going to be working and educating with the Women's Fitness Academy, so I'm very excited to connect with all the new women there who are studying and learning to become personal trainers, and then a little bit of leisure for my birthday. My birthday, if anyone is interested, is February 26th. Shout out to my Pisces and Aquarius, and I love birthdays. I think birthdays are just a moment to be celebrated. I think we don't celebrate ourselves enough. And we should celebrate our birthdays because we are so amazing to be here and alive. But anyways, let's get back to the podcast episode. I wanted to talk about this because not many people know about transfer addiction. And when we talk about the term transfer addiction, what we are basically talking about is bariatric surgery. However, I think this happens more than just in bariatric surgery. And I'm going to talk about why. Transfer addiction means substituting one addiction or addictive behavior for another. And there are certain factors that make people vulnerable to developing this, and I'm going to go through them. The reason it's usually used in bariatric surgery is because what they've found is 50% of people who have bariatric surgery, who actually report this, will go on to struggle with some sort of other addiction, such as alcohol use. And I've seen this in clients I've worked with in the past where they've had a weight loss surgery and bariatric surgery. There's usually two options. There's the gastric sleeve and a gastric bypass. So with one of them, they're removing a portion of the stomach and with the other one, they are separating or creating a sleeve. Less food can pass through it. Depending on your circumstances, doctors will usually recommend the best course of action for you. Now, When people have come to me following this, they are losing a significant amount of weight in a short period of time. And what people don't realize is food served so much of a need. People don't just wake up one day and they're 180 kilos. Something has happened to get to that point. And this is why I always encourage people, if you're stuck in a rut, if you don't know what's happening, if you're feeling a bit lost, you need to ask yourself the question, how did I get here. As you can imagine, bariatric surgery is really seen as a last resort when someone's health is deeply compromised by obesity. They're starting to experience health problems, maybe they have trouble with their mobility or walking, maybe their life is at risk so they decide to go down this path. Now we know obesity, a significant problem, has been linked to psychological, behavioral, metabolic, and environmental factors. But each of the possible explanations for obesity is surrounded by controversy and stigma. Many people get this surgery because of the hope of achieving a new life, getting a better health outcome. And for many people, the surgery is a success and they have a better quality of life, but it doesn't come without a lot of demons physically while they make a rapid change what I've noticed is people still have what we call the fat brain or the fat mindset they still look in the mirror and see this overweight person they look in the mirror and they're still wearing baggy clothes as if they were the same size they still feel awful about their body image and does their health increase well it depends on their behaviors some people do change their behaviors Some people struggle and some people increase their drinking. What I noticed was a particular person I'm thinking about came to me, they'd had surgery, they'd lost a lot of weight and they were needing to have a drink every night. And we had to dig into that and think, what need is this drink serving? What need is the alcohol serving? What need did food meet for you? Because you don't just wake up and you're 180 kilos or whatever the weight may be. You get there because of a reason. And it's not what diet culture says, oh, you have no discipline, you have no willpower, you're lazy, you're this, you're that. People get to that point because of deeply rooted psychological issues, okay? You don't just become like that. There is usually sexual trauma, there's usually family trauma, there's usually comments from family members, chronic dieting at a young age. And so many of the clients I've worked with don't even pick up on this. They just think, oh gosh, I've put on all this weight. I have no control. And when we go back, when we go back to their childhood, they can recall and unravel exactly when this started to happen. Now, the research has also found that weight loss methods don't necessarily fix binge eating. This is a bit of a side tangent, but the point is, Weight loss, it's not a catch-all solution for some individuals. Individuals no longer able to indulge in food following weight loss surgery might seek out comfort engaging in other addictive behaviours such as drugs or substances or alcohol. And the issue is bariatric surgery doesn't address issues with food. Some people may be required to see a psychologist before the surgery just to check in and make sure that they're stable in their mindset. But one thing I've been told about for many people I work with who have bariatric surgery or women I've come across in my food freedom program is they do not feel they were psychologically supported enough along the process. They weren't aware of what happened and there are so many different stories, things such as plugging. So when you eat too much, the food gets stuck and then involuntarily comes up. So then some people learn that they can do this they can bring the food back up so this is like purging you're deliberately bringing the food back up so on top of a surgery then you're developing an eating disorder that wasn't previously there so why does this happen number one the issue with food isn't getting addressed people who have drastic surgery they'll lose weight but it's because they physically cannot eat the quantity of food they were eating before what happens is that layer of coping gets removed And they're left with all this vulnerability, all these raw feelings, all these emotions to deal with, the inability to seek comfort from food. And that alone can be distressing. They can't eat the food the same way. They have to have puree. They have to go on this extreme diet beforehand in order to soothe their nervous system, in order to seek comfort or escapism or whatever the food was giving them, they may look for it in another direction such as alcohol use. Now, as mentioned earlier, 50% of people who have bariatric surgery are known to develop a transfer addiction, but it's not spoken about. Why? Because half the people or more who have bariatric surgery actually do not even talk about this. They're so ashamed because they feel they failed the surgery, or if they haven't lost as much weight, they think they failed the surgery when in actual fact the surgery failed them so many people do not go to their doctor for follow-up appointments that 50 percent statistic that's only the people who go back for their follow-up appointment imagine this you are in a really large body you're 170 kilos whatever it might be you go in you get this surgery you lose weight but then you struggle with your drinking you don't lose as much weight as you thought you might You feel shame, you feel stigma on top of the shame and stigma you already have. Are you really going to go back to a doctor after paying that much money? A lot of people are ashamed about it. We do know that many people who get a bariatric surgery have a disordered relationship with food, but usually that's not addressed, right? Doctors go by a medical model and they'll suggest a medical procedure, which is fine. Some people who get bariatric surgery, many have a positive experience, and I think that's down to their mindset and their strategies going into the surgery. However, I believe that psychological support should be offered as part of this and it needs to be there to help the mind adapt to the body. The body changes so quickly that the mind simply cannot keep up and this is why these people struggle. Now, what makes someone vulnerable to developing a transfer addiction and why is that? We know that people who experience obesity may have a dysfunctional relationship with food and that after weight loss, the transfer addiction can develop. We know that transfer addiction is when one addictive behavior is substituted for another. I don't like saying that food is an addiction. I don't think it comes under the addiction category because an addiction is something where you build a tolerance. You need more and more to get the desired effect. You have difficulty quitting it. And I just don't think that food falls into that category because you need to eat to live. But the behavior can feel compulsive for sure. Types of addiction transfer include gambling, sex, compulsive shopping, alcohol use, prescription drugs, anything to kind of numb out and distract. It just depends on what they're using it for. Now, studies show various forms of transfer addiction in up to 30 to 50% of people who've had bariatric surgery.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, What the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass.
1: What are the risk factors? I'm going to go through the list of risk factors that make someone vulnerable to developing it. One, a history of eating disorders, food addiction, or compulsive eating. Two, a family history of substance abuse. Three, regular consumption of alcohol before bariatric surgery. Four, a history of chronic pain or overuse of narcotics for pain management. Five, a history of trauma, especially childhood sexual abuse. Six, a history of depression and other mood or anxiety disorders. Seven, a lack of adequate support or feeling isolated, which many people would feel that way. Eight, an avoidance of emotions and experiences. And the last one is a history of engaging in self-sabotaging tendencies. And if you want to know more about self-sabotage, check out my other podcast episode on that. So why are they at risk? As mentioned earlier, the first thing we need to ask is how did you get here? How did I get here? If you're someone who's had bariatric surgery or you know someone who's had bariatric surgery, think about this. How did we get here? Go back in your life. When was your first instance with food? Were your parents really strict with food growing up? Were your parents drinking or eating in front of you? How were emotions discussed in the household? Were you under a strict dance routine? Were you a ballet dancer? Was there alcohol in your family? How did you get to this point? The issue is many people think that their lack of control around food or inability to say no and failing a diet is why they're here. But as mentioned earlier, the truth is these people did not fail. They're here because they were failed. They were failed by their family members. They were failed by society. They were failed by diet culture. Food is not the problem. Food is never the problem. Food is a symptom of a deeper problem. It could be a problem with self-esteem, it could be a problem with worth, it could be a problem with not feeling good enough, it could be a problem with fear of not being skinny enough. That as a result, people may use food as a source of comfort, distraction, reward or escape. Another reason why people can be at risk, food can create a false sense of happiness or relief. I know for me, when I went through my eating disorder, I would binge late at night. I was running a business. I was studying full time. When I would get home, eating was my relief. It was my escape. And it would give me this false sense of happiness and relief. And you convince yourself that you enjoy it and you crave it and you want it. Studies suggest that the same pleasure centers in the brain that are triggered by drugs can also be triggered by food. We know that when eating, serotonin, dopamine and endorphins are released into the brain. The pleasure derived from the release of these chemicals can override the body's feelings of fullness. Now, as a result, people will sometimes continue to seek that same pleasure. So it's like they're trying to find that bliss point. You know when you eat and you're eating and you're trying to just get that feeling, but it's not quite there. So for those who have undergone weight loss surgery... They can no longer indulge in their addiction to food, which means they may turn to a different addiction to get the same pleasurable feelings they once got with food. They're looking for that dopamine hit. And I did a podcast about the bulimic brain and about serotonin and how eating certain foods gives that boost. This is linked to this. So that episode might help you understand it a little bit more. When you take away, The only coping mechanism a person has got, this person has low self-esteem, they're probably depressed, they're probably anxious. What do you think is going to happen that they're magically going to lose weight and get better? Unless they have that internal infrastructure and support, they're going to look for other ways to meet their needs of comfort, distraction, reward, feeling good. Now, this is how other coping mechanisms which are maladaptive can occur. Remember, Coping can be adaptive, which means functional and useful, and then coping can be maladaptive, which means long-term it's not good for you at all and it leads to more problems. There's also a type of addiction called process addiction, such as gambling, shopping, and sex, as well as drugs and alcohol. After a period of initial remission, the food addiction can occur. How do you identify if Someone you know or you might have a transfer addiction. Now remember, addiction transfer, it doesn't just require becoming dependent on a consumable substance such as drugs or alcohol. Some individuals, as mentioned in the introduction, may transfer their addiction into what seems harmless and even healthy activities like exercise. And I see this all the time with previous drug addicted people going into bodybuilding or going into yoga or going into some sort of exercise, which is great. It's not as, I guess, harmful as the other substances, but it's very interesting to see. However, over time, replacement for once thriving eating disorder can quickly turn into an addiction. Some signs to look out for that a transfer addiction may be taking place include constantly thinking about the new vice. You become obsessed with it. Losing sleep or time at work or school to participate in the new activity. It becomes your obsession. Neglecting self-care. Experiencing stress or anxiety if you're unable to do the new thing or the new vice. And neglecting meetings or anything you've signed up for because of it. If this is you or someone you know, don't worry. There are ways to address it. The first step is in preventing or addressing transfer addiction, is awareness. And I think this comes down to really educating yourself. If you are thinking of bariatric surgery or someone you love is, it's about really looking into do I have the psychological infrastructure to support this huge, huge, huge operation? Now, once someone is aware that even they might be vulnerable to transfer addiction, let's find other ways to replace the reward or to help with the eating. For example, if they were eating, for comfort if they were eating because they were starving throughout the day. Let's address that directly. Let's get curious about the symptoms of when you're needing that food or how can we have that food in a way that's possible. So if you've had your bariatric surgery, there are you know only little amounts of food you can have. Can you implement that in a way that's effective and useful? And the second thing is always have support along the way. You're not alone in this i don't think bariatric surgery is always going to result in an addiction transfer but it can make someone vulnerable the other thing i was going to say is people with adhd or undiagnosed adhd can often hyperfixate on certain things and many people who get bariatric surgery well not many i've got to be careful with these statistics let's just say the population i've worked with that have bariatric surgery many of them have undiagnosed adhd The bariatric surgery is actually eliminating part of their coping for their undiagnosed ADHD. What this means is if they can't turn to food, they might turn to other means to meet those needs. I can do a whole other episode on ADHD and addiction because that is another ballpark. But all I want to say is, in summary, we all have needs that need to get met. Needs for comfort, security, variety, fun, love, connection, support. You can meet these needs in an adaptive way or a maladaptive way. For me, I know I used to watch and scroll on TikTok late at night because I'm like, oh, this helps me relax and switch off. But it actually doesn't. It actually makes me more tired the next day. So it was maladaptive, even though it may have felt adaptive. A maladaptive way is one that affects our health and well-being in the long term and it only gives us a perceived short-term relief, usually like alcohol does. Whereas an adaptive coping mechanism actually helps our well-being and health in the long term. What I would encourage you to do is do a little audit on your coping mechanisms, see which ones are adaptive, which ones are maladaptive, and if you need help with an eating issue, you know you can get in touch. There are links below that can help you on this journey, but remember if you do not address the mechanisms behind your eating issues, your eating will always be a problem. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to leave a rating or a review. And if you've got questions, you can now submit them on the link. Don't be afraid to let me know your stories, dilemmas, questions, etc. I will see you in the next episode. Take good care. I'm Steph, your psychologist. Bye for today. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I am truly grateful for you being here. If you got something out of today's show, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. To access more resources or support, check out the show notes below. See you next time.